0: This is Guns and Butter. There's
1: when I could get them in front of the evidence, graphically, you can't just talk to somebody about this. You actually have to see it. Um, they begin to, the glazing over their eyes uh, melts and, and their focus, and you can see their heart kind of slump at the, the reality of what it is that we're actually talking about here. Because if what we're saying is true, the implications are staggering for our entire uh, socioeconomic, political structure in this country. Because you can't assume that these things are true and then go on with life as normal, because it, it says that the the world, our, our country, our government, it, is not safe anymore.
0: I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Richard Gage. Today's show, 9-11 Blueprint, The Architecture of Destruction. Richard Gage is an architect, a member of the American Institute of Architects, and founder of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. He is the originator of the Take an Architect to Lunch Outreach Program of 9-11 Education for building professionals. He has been a practicing architect for 20 years and has worked on most types of building construction, including numerous fireproofed steel-framed buildings. He is employed with a Bay Area architecture firm. Richard Gage has prepared a two-hour audio-visual presentation on the World Trade Center Twin Towers and Building 7 destruction that took place on September 11, 2001, and makes a strong case for controlled demolition. We discuss his new organization, Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth, and his two-hour presentation, How the Towers Fell. Richard Gage, welcome.
1: Thank you very much, Bonnie. It's great to
0: be here at KPFA. Well, welcome. It's good to have you. Richard, you're the founder of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. How did you come to form this organization?
1: Well, that takes me back uh, over a year. I was uh, on my way to a construction site, and I heard on the radio, guns and butter as a matter of fact, you were interviewing David Ray Griffin, the oral histories. And I heard... uh, Things that I had never ever heard before, and uh, and what alluded to something big uh, that happened at the World Trade Center, and I, I was literally shocked. I had to pull over on the on the uh, street and listen to the rest of the program. And David Ray Griffin, for instance, he was talking about uh, the oral histories, which uh, we'll have to we'll have to get into. Where a hundred and eighteen firemen, for instance and uh, other first responders were recorded and they all talked about explosions in various places, various times, many uh, coincident with the actual building collapses of both the North and South Tower, as well as what happened after those sounds and flashes of explosions, Uh, beams individually dismembered from each other and hurled laterally 500 feet. It went on and on and on and we'll talk about that today. But uh, I just couldn't believe what I was hearing. I I went home, I got on the Internet, and I said, man, there might be something to this. So I just looked at it, and over a period of three or four months, I realized uh, I have to form the organization Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth, because there was already an organization, 911truth.org. So now we have AE911truth.org, and I've dedicated my life to waking up every architect and engineer in the San Francisco Bay Area and beyond and of course along with that uh, the, the rest of the american people so uh, our mission is to is to reach every architect and engineer in the bay area and beyond and to get a new investigation of all three world trade center high rise collapses on 911 many people don't know about the third one a 47 story skyscraper that would be the tallest skyscraper in 33 states today. Uh, It fell down, uh, it collapsed, if you will, in virtually free fall speed in 6.5 seconds, symmetrically, smoothly, in the classic uh, manner as of a controlled demolition. So uh, we want an investigation in Congress with subpoena power. And An unimpeachable investigation. Uh, The 9-11 Commission could not be phrased an unimpeachable investigation.
0: So Richard, uh, tell me about Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. Now, this is an organization that you founded, and architects and engineers can join it, right? How does that work?
1: Well, actually, everybody can join. And it's uh, as easy as going to our website, AE911Truth.org, hitting the Join button, And then we'll ask you, are you an architect or engineer? If so, what are your qualifications? And we'll ask for those qualifications. If you're not, uh, you go in a different category. Others. So right now we have uh, over 150 architects and engineers. And uh, we have, I think, over 330 in the other categories. We expect within a year to have 1,000 architects and engineers. And uh, this will, we believe, really turn the heads in Congress. We already, as a matter of fact, have uh, a request to have a hearing, a formal hearing at the House Senate Intelligence Committee with uh, Henry Waxman. So, so that is in place. There is uh, a lot happening and we're getting busier and busier. And we work full time during the day as, as architects and engineers. So there's just, there's just very little time to do what we have to do. It's like having two full time jobs.
0: Well, now, Richard, I was going to say you're currently employed at an architectural firm here in the Bay Area. What kind of uh, architectural and or engineering projects do you work on? I understand you've been uh, working as an architect for for what, 20 years?
1: Yes, yes. I I was uh, licensed in 88 and I graduated from the University of uh, Southern California in 86. And I've worked on most types of construction uh, before concentrating on the construction documents and construction administration. Right now we're working on a 1.2 million square foot uh, retail downtown area in uh, Nevada with uh, 360,000 square feet of high-rise office and uh, additional parking structures. and All of that will have, uh, I don't know, something like 1,200 tons of steel framing. So uh, I'm involved in the management of, of that project.
0: Now, have you been involved in the design of steel-frame buildings in the past?
1: Steel-frame fireproof buildings have probably constituted the majority of of my work, yes.
0: Now, you give presentations to the public, and I also understand that you give presentations to architects and engineers. So could you talk about these presentations? For instance, like how many have you given to the public, and maybe how many to professionals, and and how do you do that?
1: Yeah, well, what we do, our members... uh, donate uh, to buy lunches at the architecture firms uh, and engineering. And uh, in fact, people, if they want to help us, can go on to uh, take an architect out for lunch. That's our, our banner. And um, you can buy an architect a lunch for nine bucks and we'll feed him the nine eleven 11 truth. Uh, we'll go through all the evidence that uh, we're, we're going to go through here today. So we go into uh, the architect's offices and, for instance, the first one I gave in Walnut Creek, we had... Uh, 15 architects, 14 of them signed up, and they were all skeptical. Everybody there except me, where I worked. Um, 14 of them now have signed up, uh, demanding of Congress uh, a new investigation. I went into another firm of 60 architects. 38 showed up to the presentation. Uh, most of them agree that the, uh, the buildings were brought down by controlled demolition. At a minimum, they readily agree Uh, virtually all of them, that there are serious problems with the official investigations, Uh, that is to say the the Weidlinger Report, the FEMA Report, the uh, American Society of Civil Engineers Report, and finally the NIST Report, or National Institute of Standards and Technology. We'll get into that. So my goal is every other Friday to reach a new architecture and engineering firm. Now, we've also, we we get invitations uh, all over the country to speak uh, and, and outside the country, I've been to Winnipeg, uh, in Canada, uh, in San Diego, and Chico. We're going to uh, Hartford, Connecticut, coming up in, I think that's in in November, and uh, New York. We have two presentations, the week of 9-11, and we will be going to Indiana on September 10th with uh, Kevin Ryan and Stephen Jones, and then back here to the Grand Lake Theater here in Oakland. Tuesday night, uh, September 11th, where we lay out all of this evidence that we're going to be talking to today. We've invited uh, every architect, that is, who is a member of the American Institute of Architects, so we hope to have a good number of building professionals showing up.
0: So you've invited architects to the September 11th event in the evening at the Grand Lake Theater in Oakland?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Oh, well, we're going to have quite a crowd. Now, when you say that you're traveling around and giving the presentations, now you're referring to presentations to the public, right?
1: Yes, and wherever I go, I encourage the local uh, supporters to uh, get out a a letter campaign and a phone campaign to all the architects and engineers in their area. Uh, San Diego is another example, October 14th we'll uh, we'll be getting out a massive letter campaign.
0: Now, when you give a presentation to, specifically to architects and engineers, you go to their firms during lunch hour. What do you do? You go into one of their conference rooms and give a presentation?
1: Yeah. And and architects and engineers are, are accustomed to this. Uh, reps from different uh, manufacturers of building materials and systems uh, routinely go into the firms and buy them lunch, and that's how you get them there. And, um, In this case, it's an educational seminar that we present about the Twin Towers, a fascinating subject uh, by any right. And then we begin to present the information that uh, David Ray Griffin was uh, telling all of us about on your radio show over a year and uh, four months ago, I think.
0: Now, uh, what kind of a reception have you gotten at these firms? It sounds to me like you've been well-received. Has there been much resistance to you giving these uh, presentations?
1: Mm, no. I, I think there's a natural resistance uh, emotionally because this is uncomfortable material. We're stepping on the dark side of our, of our uh, national conscience here because right now uh, most all of us uh, agree that uh, these buildings were brought down by uh, the airplanes, which uh, were filled with uh, about 10,000 gallons of jet fuel. And which caused fires, uh, which after about an hour softened the steel and uh, caused the columns to buckle. And we'll go through that scenario. But basically, then the, the building uh, just collapsed uh, into its own footprint. They say in the case of the twin towers, which isn't the case at all. So you're uh,
0: talking you're talking here mm. about the official explanation of what happened.
1: Yeah. So when we when you begin to look at all of the evidence, and I'm not saying evidence that we've manufactured, I'm talking about the videos, the photos, the interviews of the first responders, uh, it it paints a very different story, and this is why uh, the 9/11 Truth Movement is growing by millions every year. There is a poll, uh, Scripps Howard Ohio University, I, I think it was, that in 2006. Uh, showed about 16% of the American people actually believe uh, that the Twin Towers were brought down by controlled demolition. That's an astonishing figure. That's millions and millions, and uh, it's growing all the time. And uh, we have no personal stake in going out and, and creating a conspiracy theory where there wasn't one before. This is very painful work. There is emotional resistance. I have been called a kook, um, Uh, on a few occasions, but every time I've sat down with somebody and gone through this evidence that we're going to go through uh, to a person, they agree, wow, I didn't know about that. I didn't know about that. I didn't know about that. Well, why? Our media is not allowing this information to come forward. There are very few uh, interviews of people uh, who are scholars and building professionals that have really looked at this evidence and, uh, and will lay it out. So, Uh, That's why I have to go around the country speaking, and that's why uh, at the Grand Lake Theater, I'm going to take great pains to make it as clear and as simple as possible with uh, video clips, uh, audio clips, and uh, photographs so people can, with their own eyes and their own ears, can see and hear what's going on and why they have to take a second look at this. Because our first impression is to say, oh, that couldn't have happened. I would have heard about it by now. A, or that that could have never happened. They couldn't have kept it secret. It's, it's too big of a, of, a, of a conspiracy, or the administration bungled Katrina, and you're telling in Iraq, and you're telling me that they pulled this off. Um, no way. So all of these are our first hand excuses to wave off and dismiss what we do not want and can't afford to believe is true. Um, And I just have to take people into the evidence and then I have to help them confront the evidence uh, and move beyond it and move beyond our fears, really, that come up. Uh, Let's face it. uh, Al-Qaeda did not have access to these buildings to set these charges that we're going to be talking about here in a moment. So if not Al-Qaeda, then whom and when and how and more importantly, why? Uh, those are extremely serious questions. And as architects and engineers, we shy away from them for very good reason. Our line of credibility extends uh, to and through the evidence. Uh, beyond that is uh, speculation and it is exactly the reason why we need an independent investigation as soon as possible. Because if this was done, if this was done, for instance, by members of our of our own government or private corporations in 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 league with government, then why was it done? I mean we know that it served as the pretext, for instance, to get us into Afghanistan. We know uh Iraq was based on a pack of lies. Well, what else do we not know about Afghanistan? Well, it turns out if you really look at it, uh, there's plenty of information out there to paint a different picture than we hear on the mainstream media and uh What's all the saber-rattling about Iran? And I'm very concerned about another type of 9-11 and uh, what that might be the pretext for. So all of that uh, gets past our mission, though.
0: <laughs> I'm speaking with architect Richard Gage. Today's show, 9-11 Blueprint, The Architecture of Destruction. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Well, now, Richard, one thing that I have found curious for years is I would have thought, looking at it logically, that architects and engineers would have been among, structural engineers, for instance, would have been among the first to have recognized a controlled demolition, to have thought, uh, to have seen that something was up, that something wasn't right. And yet it seems like the professionals themselves are the last to see it. Do you have any thoughts on this?
1: Excellent. Because in the case of Building 7, what we see, and I described very shortly earlier, a classic case of controlled demolition that whenever anybody sees it, they can readily reference it as such because we've all seen it on on TV and so forth. So the problem is is that we don't see it. Uh, Ninety. 5% 5% of the architects and engineers that I talk to, and, and regular normal people, non building professionals, have never seen Building 7. So as soon as you show it to them, they go, oh my God. I mean, I just did a presentation at the American Institute of Architects, uh, the Oakland, in the Oakland office, the East Bay chapter, and uh, we had architects going, of course, that's a controlled demolition. It has a classic kink in the middle, which pulls the exterior of the building. Inward, so as not to damage the the other uh, surrounding buildings. It has classic squibs or uh, mistimed explosions on the 40th through the 47th floor that are easily seen. Poof, 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 uh, in dark smoke um, that can only be uh, explosions synchronistically timed floor by floor. And it has uh, the the classic freefall collapse, and the only way that can happen and symmetrically is to remove the exterior columns a fraction of a second after the interior, which is why, by the way, the penthouse falls first and there's a kink in the middle, and then synchronistically time, floor by floor, the whole you remove the columns so that it comes down perfectly symmetrically at a free fall, virtually free fall speed, 6.5 seconds. So Building professionals recognize that when I show it to them. That's why I start with Building 7. And by the way, there was tons of molten metal found at the base of Building 7, which is not a classic component of controlled demolition. Controlled demolition usually starts uh, with with charges because they're not worried about hiding the explosions. But if you want to blame a building failure on fire, you're going to use uh, a form of incendiary, uh, which is more silent like uh, thermite, for instance, which uh, the military uses to cut through steel like a hot knife through butter. And uh, the byproduct of thermite, by the way, is molten iron. And the firemen described uh, tons of molten iron flowing like lava, they say. And you can, by the way, you can see all of this evidence on our website, ae911truth.org, and you can uh, hear the uh, firemen discussing this molten iron on the video
0: Richard, let me ask you this. So, okay, Building 7, uh, maybe, uh, maybe professionals didn't see that, but they certainly saw the Twin Towers. Yeah. And, of course, the planes went in, and that kind of uh, muddies the water. But why wouldn't professionals—what do you think it is? Why wouldn't professionals have thought that something was up at the Twin Towers? Or well, did they, and they're just not saying anything?
1: Well, no, I, I didn't, and I don't know very many who did, and I'll tell you why. First of all, very, very, very few structural engineers even are trained to see controlled demolitions, uh, trained in controlled demolitions. The the Twin Towers present a whole nother scenario where we don't have a classic implosion. Uh, what we have is a first in, in an explosion, top-down controlled demolition, uh, starting at the point of the impact and... The uh, firemen described these explosions and flashes of light in the oral histories that were uh, secured by the New York Times in a lawsuit, and one by the, the Court of Appeals forced the city to release these. And now we know why the city was trying to hide these, because these the, these 118 cases of firemen describing the flashes of light and explosions going all the way around the building like a belt, and then this incredible outburst of uh, pulverized concrete and dismembered columns and beams in this huge mushrooming cloud. This is not a classic controlled demolition. This is uh, this is more like a volcano uh, explosion, like Mount St. Helens. There was a build up to this. There were hijacked aircrafts. There was a huge explosion at the Twin Towers. We didn't know whether it was a terrorist attack or or some plane gone off course. Then we find one thing after another, and then there's another plane at the Pentagon, and we're in a state of shock. Uh, so we're fully prepared to kind of accept what comes next, which came right away on the radio and TV from the uh, experts, if you will, Jerome Hauer, for instance, who's not really an expert at anything other than uh, presenting right away the false story that this, the steel— uh, Uh, softened. He's not even a structural engineer and uh, due to the tremendous heat from this airplane these airplanes and and it had the classic fingerprints he says of Osama bin Laden. So they laid the roots for this story. So we're kind of going as architects and engineers looking at this okay, it's completely out of the realm of our experience and our training. So we simply bought the results of the investigations from these groups such as the American Society of Civil Engineers, who are, you know, they're structural and civil engineers. They're, they're trained at what they do. We we, we want to trust them. Problem is, they're not volunteers. Really, not like your PTA volunteer. These are uh, highly paid uh, individuals who had worked for the government uh, previously uh, and had ongoing uh, contracts and with at least ten million dollars.
0: Now, you're you're referring to the reports that were done. The FEMA report, the NIST report, the National Institute of Standard and Technology, the owner, Silverstein, he had a report made, uh, the ASCE. Were there four or five reports?
1: Yeah, I count four. The American Society of Civil Engineers report was first, and it had uh, actually the same cast of characters wound itself through all of these reports. Gene Corley and Teresa McAllister, uh, all of them have... Uh, have conflicts of interest, defense contracts,
0: and so forth, dealing with uh, blast and, and... and So you're saying that the same people produced all four reports?
1: There was a few changes of, of characters. John Gross comes in uh, with NIST and um, basically uh, denies that there was any molten metal in the NIST report and um, actually hides the evidence that FEMA came up with earlier about... Uh, Intergranular melting at the ends of the beams, uh, which fire doesn't do, by the way, and uh, sulfidation and rapid oxidation that the New York Times called the greatest mystery of all in 9-11, how these beams could be completely dismembered from each other, the column beam connections. This is a moment-resisting frame. These are welded connections. It's the strongest point of the building, and yet that's where they all failed because they're cut. In fact, you can see plenty of 45-degree angle cuts, which is a classic shape of controlled demolition so that the columns can slide past each other after they're cut. So that's the reason that we didn't understand it.
0: You mean because you think everybody that, that professionals were programmed right along with the rest of the population yeah. to see it a certain way? And whenever you get, uh, uh, almost without exception, uh,
1: an architect or an engineer to sit down and go through this evidence as carefully as as we have. And and Stephen Jones, for instance, has, has laid out some very, very important evidence we'll talk about. Uh, they sign up. I mean, how did we get 150 architects and engineers signing up on our website since Memorial Day? I think it's four months.
0: Well, now uh – Probably, I would assume that most of the people in these professional firms—architects, engineers—are not necessarily by nature activists. They're, you know, they have careers, etc. And do these people feel isolated uh, with regard to this? Do they? Uh, uh, what is their attitude? I mean, do they feel? I mean, do they feel more comfortable about speaking out now that you have this organization, for instance?
1: I think that helps a great deal. Um, I was in isolation before this organization existed. And uh, I didn't find it very comfortable to speak to uh, my colleagues. They they thought I was nuts. But when I could get them in front of the evidence graphically, you can't just talk to somebody about this. You actually have to see it. they begin to the glazing over their eyes uh, melts and and their focus and you can see their heart kind of slump at, at the at the reality of what it is that we're actually talking about here because it is extraordinary um if what we're saying is true the implications are staggering for our entire uh socioeconomic political structure in this country because I mean you 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 can't you can't assume that these things are true and then go on with life as normal because it it says that the the world our, our country our government is not safe anymore and that's a fundamental dichotomy in our own psychology so we right. defend that
0: right not that they're just not safe but suddenly uh things aren't what people thought they were mm-hmm. uh so that's very challenging now Have you seen architects and engineers get politicized by this?
1: There are a number of activist architects and engineers uh, among our... I'm not the only one speaking around. There's a a number of us who who are spending all of our free time speaking uh, around the country, speaking, calling into radio talk show hosts, writing articles, talking to uh, the other building professionals. Uh, We have fire protection engineers that have joined our... Our organization, uh, some who work for uh, cities, chief uh, fire protection engineers in the South Bay, uh, and and more and more so. In fact, the fire protection engineer who was the head of one of the divisions at NIST highly questioned the uh, the NIST report that came out in two thousand five, and that's uh, Doctor Quintier. Very very important um, series of. Professionals are waking up.
0: I'm speaking with architect Richard Gage. Today's show, "9/11 Blueprint: The Architecture of Destruction." I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter.
1: So, so let me let me tell you what kinds of evidence. Uh, well,
0: you know, Richard, you've already mentioned, and I wanted to back up to this since you've already mentioned intergranular melting. That's quite a mouthful. So let's let's talk about that. Now, I wanted to ask you, I watched your two-hour presentation that you gave at the University of Manitoba. It's on video, and uh, it's called, Why the Towers Fell. Now, in that speech, you refer to some of the experimentation that Dr. Stephen Jones has done, and that he has in his possession dust samples uh from ground 0 what was discovered in the pulverized dust residue at ground 0
1: well you mention a couple of really important items intergranular melting first of all fema finds that uh the that down to the to the grains of steel steel's manufactured and chemically and microscopically that has grains and in order for these grains to to melt across their boundaries you need temperatures that exceed 2700 degrees which is the beginning melting point of steel well guess how hot the fires are in in the top of the world trade center nist claims 1800 degrees first of all well most office fires are about 12 to 1400 degrees but let's say that the, if that were true, there's still a thousand degrees of heat missing to cause intergranular melting, and the tons of molten metal that the firemen saw, and by the way, the structural engineer of the World Trade Center, Leslie Robertson, saw as well. It, it's missing, so there's no explanation from the from the official story or anybody defending it where all of this molten metal came from. When it cooled, it formed these huge meteorites, they were calling them. And they pull these out and they're, they're sitting in a hangar at JFK airport. Tons of solid, previously molten metal. And by the way, Dr. Jones, whom you mentioned, was sent uh, some slag from, well, a 40 pound chunk of this molten metal. What did he find in it? Well, it's predominantly iron. So it's not the remnants of an airplane, uh, aluminum. It's uh, got the trace chemical signature of thermate, which uh, has sulfur and zinc and fluorine and manganese are all there in the exact uh, or very, very near the same proportion as you find in in the chemical analysis of thermate. Thermate includes sulfur. It's a high-tech form of thermite. So it's it's more explosive and may in fact been responsible for the explosive force that hurled these beams laterally five hundred feet out of the uh, out of the twin towers. So he's also sent dust samples, for instance, from uh, Jeanette McKinley, who had an apartment across the street from the World Trade Center. Her whole apartment was filled with this dust. I have some of it myself, and. What Dr. Jones did is he put a magnet and all of these tiny little perfectly spherical metallic microspheres, he called them, came up to the top to the magnet and they range in size uh, very, 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 very small up to the size of a BB. Okay, what in the world is this? All the dust samples ha- have these. Well, he analyzes it, finds it's predominantly iron, finds that the, most of them are hollow, finds that the same chemical trace signature of thermate in them, and so,, well, how did that form? Well, if there was thousands of of cutter charges placed at these column to beam connections throughout the height of this building, remember it's one hundred and ten stories high, thirteen hundred sixty eight feet and two hundred and eight feet across, if all the core columns core to core and, and core to beams were were cut, and then almost simultaneously, there was a, another explosive. Force that would have atomized this molten iron and just spread it out. And as it was cooling, it, its surface temperature would form into a sphere. In fact, that's how they used to make the uh, uh, rifle musket bullets. Um, I forget what they call them, musket balls, I guess. In the Revolutionary War, they drop a molten lead off of a high tower. It forms into perfectly round, uh, which is what uh, raindrops are, actually. And so he finds he finds the same... Constituents in those in fact, uh, the tops of the cars uh, surrounding the World Trade Center are all corroded, and nobody knows uh, where did all this corrosion come from Well, this explains it I mean, we 're talking about highly corrosive stuff with these atomized uh, thermate, and he also found um, the same thing in a piece of slag from the ends of these beams because FEMA found uh, what FEMA found at the ends of these beams and what the uh, the, the, actually, the demolition workers, as they were pulling these beams out, they would be dripping with molten, molten metal.
0: Now, uh, Richard, to clarify, the molten metal would have come where the thermate cutter charges sliced through the steel, right? We're not talking about melted columns. We're simply talking about melted cuts, right? And, and
1: we know that because uh, Dr. Jones found very little chromium in this molten iron. So it's not structural steel that has been melted by the ton. Some of it certainly was melted as it was cut through, but these huge uh, chunks of meteorites pulled out of the the rubble at the base of the towers were, were all uh, molten iron.
0: So then there was a considerable amount of molten metal in the pits below all three buildings, the Twin Towers and Building 7. Yeah,
1: all three buildings. And it's overwhelming evidence for the use of of thermite because thousands of these cutter charges would produce tons of this uh, molten. And you can see it actually in the videos, some of them uh, in the collapse videos, if you will.
0: So now the the stuff. cutter charges would have um, uh, sliced through the columns, and then the explosive force would have shot the uh, the sliced beams out horizontally. I believe that you can kind of see that in the videos, right?
1: Yes. In fact, uh, they're impaling themselves and surrounding buildings, as I mentioned, uh, 500 feet away in a 1,200 foot uh, diameter around the buildings. And guess what? What's found at the bottom of the of the of the towers? We'd be looking for 110 floors of 4-inch thick concrete, an acre in size, 208 by 208. So think of your home, and if it's a quarter acre, multiply it times 4. That's the area of one floor times 100 stacked on top of each other. You'd expect to see floor trusses, metal decking, which is what they pour the concrete on on each of these floors, all found down at the bottom. Well, maybe maybe, uh, the kinetic energy destroyed uh, a few of them or half of them. You'd you'd expect to find 50, but you don't even find one of these floors. And they were looking for them.
0: Well, that's what I was going to ask you, what they didn't find in the rubble pile that was stories high after the towers came down. What what didn't they find that they should have found?
1: I would have expected that they would find uh, about a million file cabinets, which are very very dense, and they don't find any file cabinets down at the bottom. In fact, uh, in the dust sample that I got from Jeanette McKinley across the street from the World Trade Center, when I put a magnet to it, I find lots of tiny tiny metal filings. It's extraordinary. I mean, really small. You can barely see them, and they rise. Uh, they rise to the top. And what did they find on top of the Deutsche Bank building? Human remains, bone fragments less than a a half an inch long, 700 of them. Now you tell me how 700 bone fragments that size can make their way in a gravitational collapse scenario over 100 feet laterally and so small so as to land on this building. And of course, it's not the only building they landed on. They found human remains outside of ground zero.
0: Now, the official explanation for why these buildings came down, specifically Twin Towers, were uh, planes crashed into them, there were fires, the fires weakened the core steel beams, and they collapsed. And in one report, they blame it on trusses, in another report, they they blame it on uh, column failure, etc. Could you describe the characteristics of fire damage versus that of controlled demolition, uh, particularly with regard to steel-framed buildings. I mean, a fire damage to a building has quite different characteristics than a controlled demolition, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, fire is a gradual process. When fires bring buildings down, and they have never brought uh, high-rise steel-framed buildings down, Talk about a wood building, for instance, you know, in 20 minutes, uh, it'll move on to another source of fuel. And there's a cooling where where the fire was. And and this is true in high-rises, even though they don't collapse, the fire moves, uh, cools, uh, heats up another place, uses up the fuel, moves on. So you would expect an asymmetrical collapse uh, if there was going to be a collapse. And uh, in the hundred examples of high-rise fires we have, there isn't one that has that collapsed. Part of this is because the fireproofing protects the steel, but we have several examples of, of very hot, very large, and very long-lasting fires in high-rise buildings. Um, and these for, would be
0: steel frame buildings, right?
1: Yes. And the other reason, by the way, that these buildings have not collapsed is because of the Properties of steel. It, steel is very dense. Uh, it wicks away, it conducts the temperature, the heat throughout the building, actually, away from the, the hottest point. So, even if there were, for instance, a 1400 degree fire, as uh, FEMA had claimed, uh, a NIST upped it to, to 1800 degrees, that would have been immediately dissipated throughout the building, even if some of the fireproofing was knocked off of core columns. The floor trusses are a different matter. They're very light, and so that's where uh, FEMA and NIST chose to pinpoint uh, the vulnerability in the building.
0: I'm speaking with architect Richard Gage. Today's show, 9-11 Blueprint, The Architecture of Destruction. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter.
1: Now, I've been asked many times how... Could anybody have gotten into this building to set these charges?
0: Well, that's what I was just going to ask you. Obviously, if there were charges set, cutter charges or whatever sorts of charges, they would have most logically been set right on the core columns themselves, the steel core of the building. Now, is there access available to these core columns?
1: Well, it turns out that uh, the 50 or so elevators that uh, rise throughout this building and reducing in number toward the top, uh, each of them are adjacent to one of these core columns. So it's actually quite easy to, within the elevator shaft, cut through the gypsum board uh, fire protective layer that surrounds the elevator cabs and wire or place these cutter charges. And by the way, they do now quite commonly use wireless. So you wouldn't be running wires all over the place necessarily, especially in a what would probably have been a, quite a high-tech operation. You're talking about wireless in order to set the charges off. Yeah. So, uh, But who would have had access to the elevators shafts? And we know, for instance, that Ace Elevator had a modernization program going on in the nine months prior to 9-11.
0: Were these elevators made by Ace Elevator?
1: I don't know if they were made. They were certainly modernizing them and, and uh, upgrading them. Uh, they may very well have been replacing the cabs. Uh, there's an article on it in Elevator World, and uh, we'll put that um, that article on our website so everybody can see it.
0: So a company called Ace Elevators was upgrading what the elevators themselves in the nine months prior yeah, to September 11th, and
1: all the hoisting equipment, to make it safer. I mean, this this building's been around since uh, the late 60s, so they do age and. There's a need for higher tech uh, equipment and stronger, safer systems. So that's a possibility. I'm not blaming Ace Elevator. I I don't know. These are the things we need to find out and why we are demanding a new investigation. There's thousands of questions that must be answered. We don't have all the answers. We have a lot of very good questions.
0: What evidence is there of foreknowledge of the collapses, not only of the Twin Towers but of Building 7?
1: Yeah, well, very interestingly, in Building 7, the police and firemen were moving the public back well before 3 o'clock. This building came down at 5.20 in the afternoon. There are plenty of examples of, well, some first responders and paramedics discussing that they were told that the building was actually going to come down. In the video that you referenced uh, how the towers fell, that was filmed in Manitoba, there's a video clip of of a policeman actually saying the building's going to blow up. Rain and debris are going to come down. And so he's just point blank saying it's going to blow up. Um, Larry Silverstein, for instance, uh, said on uh, public television, there's been such a terrible loss of life, maybe the smartest thing to do is pull it. And uh, it's pretty clear that we assume he's talking about the building uh, but he came back later and said, oh, well, uh, it wasn't the building I was talking about, the firemen. Well, <laughs> there was no firemen in the building. They were pulled out well before uh, uh, 2 o'clock, and they were, many of them are wondering, talking to each other, why aren't we putting out this fire? Uh, they they knew it was going to come down.
0: Did then-Mayor uh, Rudy Giuliani have foreknowledge of it?
1: Well, Rudy Giuliani had, uh, had said to uh, Peter Jennings that he got word that uh, the World Trade Center tower the South Tower was going to collapse 10 minutes before it did. It's a quote. And so he knew, but he didn't, he didn't tell the firemen. Back to Building 7, again, the BBC announced that the building collapsed at 5 o'clock. And right behind Jane Stanley, the BBC reporter, she's saying it collapsed, and there's over her, her left shoulder is Building 7 still standing. So they must have had a script, right, because uh, you don't make mistakes like that. Um, but that's what they said. Oh, we're sorry. Uh, this was a, a mistake. We got confused in all of the confusion of the day.
0: Well, how soon before the building actually came down did she make that statement? 20 minutes. So 20 minutes later than it actually did come down.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They must uh, train in uh, psychic powers at the BBC.
0: Is there evidence that FEMA was on the site the day before the planes crashed into the Twin Towers?
1: Yeah. As a matter of fact, they had their uh, exercise, Tripod 2, which is a chemical and or biological attack that they were training for the day before 9-11. Thousands of FEMA members were on site in lower Manhattan for this exercise. And Tom Kinney is uh, one of uh, FEMA's people quoted as saying, we were ready to go, we were the first ones uh, to to go into action, and of course FEMA did take over the site uh, to the chagrin of many of the firemen and the fire protection engineers who wanted to understand how this collapse could have occurred. Remember, never before in history had a high-rise building come down, and here's FEMA directing the carting away of all of this uh, Structural steel, which is evidence in a crime scene, at 800 truckloads a day, they're carting it out of there. And Bill Manning, the editor of Fire Protection Magazine, is screaming in in his editorials. And this is the magazine that all of the fire protection engineers get and receive and communicate back and forth with each other. And he's saying, This is uh, an outrage. I forget the exact quote. You've got to go and thumb through the PowerPoint presentation on the website and see this series of quotes from him. It's a scathing review alluding to the fact that uh, there is a cover-up.
0: On Tuesday night at the Grand Lake Theater in Oakland, Tuesday night, September eleventh, two 2007 at 7 p.m., you are going to be giving a presentation and you have invited architects and engineers. Could you tell us a little bit about what you're going to talk about?
1: Yes. In fact, this presentation will follow two days of excellent films uh, on uh, broader subjects surrounding 9-11, as well as the collapse of these three high-rise buildings. And uh, I'll be joined by Ed Muniak, a fire protection engineer for the city of San Jose. And he will be discussing in detail a lot of this evidence uh, relative to what fires can and can't do to buildings and how buildings should look when they, when they come down by fire and how they don't, so i'm I'm just delighted that uh, our members in increasing numbers are stepping up in particularly fire protection engineer, very well qualified individual head. and so we're going to step through point by point, starting with building seven, all of the evidence, and you'll see it with your eyes rather than just hearing it. You'll find that it's very difficult information to take in. And, and that's because of the auxiliary issues that it that it brings up, but we're we're going to take on as many of the technical questions afterward, and and there'll be some people there who can who will be more willing than myself to speculate as to who, why, how, where.
0: So you're going to have a, an audio visual presentation as well, right? It's a rather dynamic
1: multimedia presentation PowerPoint, and we have lots of video clips, audio. And I go through all of it. And then we get to the Twin Towers. It's even more interesting because as different of a type of demolition that the Twin Towers were, and as much as we never suspected, most of us, the demolition of them, the evidence is even stronger than Building 7. Building 7 being more obvious, the evidence for the Twin Towers demolition being stronger.
0: Now, when you go on a Friday at lunchtime to an architectural firm or an engineering firm and you give a presentation, what do you do? Do you do that within an hour on people's lunch hour?
1: Yeah, we get an hour and we start and right away as soon as they start biting into the sandwiches. And we we wrap it up in 45 minutes and there's a time for question and answer. And it's like dropping a bomb, if you'll pardon the pun. Horrible pun. And... It is difficult information to deal with. I, I can only imagine what uh, some of your listeners uh, might be thinking and feeling uh, about hearing some of this for the first time, as as I was as well. It's it's shocking. When, when people join our site, we ask them to provide a statement, and um, it's it's just really sad sometimes. Uh, what I read, I read every one of the new member's statements, and they're shocked they're dismayed they're willing to to do anything now to get to the rest of the truth because this is just the beginning these buildings what about the the hijackers so there's lots of questions about the 19 fundamentalist hijackers why are 8 of them still alive as reported by the guardian the bbc and many others
0: so let me ask you this what motivates you to do this obviously you're spending you've started this organization architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth. You're spending an awful lot of time giving presentations. I'm amazed myself. You seem to be giving one every night. What motivates you to do this work?
1: Uh, I would just have to say that uh, I'm being driven from a place deep within that that I have to answer to because of the strength of that uh, guidance. It's not it's taken quite a toll on my life uh my marriage is is has not been the same and and quite possibly might not survive it um, i had i have very 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 little free time anymore uh but the greatest joy well it it's just been a a great joy to take risks to reach out to people and when they do see what's really going on, and their eyes light up, I'm I'm like, oh yes, this one person was worth it, because he is going to go and tell the truth to to uh, three, four, five other individuals, and it just all becomes worth it, uh, even even when there when when somebody without even w- being willing to look at the evidence will email me and 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 call me a, a tinfoil hat wearing kook um, uh, it used to bother me quite a bit actually and the the rewards uh are deep and internal and i i i i float on those i'm 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 being risen by this sense of mission and uh you know we're, we're, it's it 's not it's not about money there's no money here it's uh it it's just a it's just this deep sense of mission that's that 's all i can say i'm i'm on my i'm on my game and i i can 't be stopped um, i mean the truth is unstoppable and the truth is what feeds me I love this country i don't want to see this country turned upside down by the people who Carried out and planned, and carried out uh, 9/11. I don't want to see our country be be turned into a police state because, uh, as we know, 9/11 gave rise to the loss of our sacred freedoms in the Patriot Act I, the Military Commissions Act, and the second Patriot Act. That's that they're trying to roll out.
0: You end your two-hour presentation. How the towers fell. With a quote from Martin Luther King, could you repeat that quote?
1: Yeah, uh, a time comes when silence is betrayal.
0: Richard Gage, thank you.
1: Thank you very much, Bonnie. There's something happening here. Yeah, yeah. What it is ain't exactly clear. There's a man with a gun over
0: there. I've been speaking with Richard Gage. Today's show has been 9-11 Blueprint: The Architecture of Destruction. Richard Gage is an architect, a member of the American Institute of Architects, and founder of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. He is the originator of the Take an Architect to Lunch Outreach Program of 9-11 Education for Building Professionals. Richard Gage has prepared a two-hour audiovisual presentation, How the Towers Fell on the World Trade Center Twin Towers and Building 7 Destruction that took place on September 11, 2001 and makes a strong case for controlled demolition. Richard Gage will give the keynote presentation on September 11, 2007 at the Grand Lake Theater in Oakland, California. He will be joined by Ed Muniak, a fire protection engineer for the city of San Jose, California. Visit www a e 911 truthorg for more information. That's www.ae911truth.org Thanks to Laura Bourbon for recording today's interview. Guns and Butter is produced, edited, and mixed by Bonnie Faulkner and Yaro Mako. Our engineer is Bonnie Bone. To leave comments or order copies of the show, Call 510-848-6767, extension 628. Email us at faulkner at gunsandbutter.net or visit our website at www.gunsandbutter.net. Hey, yo, these are some serious times that we live in, G. And our new world order is about to begin. You know what I'm saying? Now the question is, are you ready for the real revolution? Evolution of the mind. If you seek, then you shall find that we all come from the divine. You dig what I'm saying? Now if you take heed to the words of wisdom that are written on the walls of life, then universally we will stand and divided we will fall because love conquers all. You understand what I'm saying? This is a call for all you sleeping souls. Wake up and take control of your own cipher and be on the lookout for the spirit sniper. Trying to steal your life, you know what I'm saying? Look what decides yourself for peace, give thanks, live life, and release, you dig me?